Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. Hope you're well. As you can hear, my voice is a little bit worse for wear. Sometimes that's because I've gone out the night before. And, you know, when you're out and you've had a few beers and you you sort of talk a bit loudly and you you just kind of have that thing where it affects your voice. But this time, I'm afraid it's uh, it's because I'm coming down with something, some kind of terrible lurgy. So uh, apologies for that. My voice is probably, as this podcast goes on, going to get a bit croakier. But but on the uh, on the upside of things, if you're out there and listening and you would like a movie trailer recorded, I, I could do that right now quite easily for you because I have that croak going on. Um, so, yeah, get in touch very quickly, though, because my voice will probably be back to normal in a day or two, which means we've got a, a very short window of time in which to record this film trailer for a film that doesn't exist, that nobody's making. Maybe I should make a film. I don't know what I'd make a film about, to be perfectly honest. I mean, sometimes you look at, you look around, don't you, for a film to watch and you think, Jesus, you know, there's all these people in the movie industry, writers and actors and producers and directors, and there are obviously hugely, hugely talented people doing very, very good work. But for the most part, films are kind of shit. You're thinking, is, is that the best you could come up with? Really? Like there was a whole room of you in there, maybe 10 or 12 writers and producers and things, and, and you, you, you all brainstormed, and, and that was the best you could come up with? Really? There wasn't one person in that room who said, you know what, this is actually a fucking big bag of shit. Nobody. Where is your artistic integrity? Sure, you made hundreds of millions of dollars, but where is the joy in that? Okay, I see where it's all going now, but look... If you are ever thinking of making a film, yeah, just give me a shout. You know, I can come up with really, really shit ideas. Like, I've got lots of them. Loads of them. I've got fucking bucketfuls of them. So if you fancy, you know, I can come on board and pitch in a few really crap ideas. And you can save yourself some money because what I'll do is I'll go out and I'll drink a load of beer. And the next day, I'll record the film trailer voiceover. Bingo. It's all done. How about that? I look forward to hearing from all of you, of course, who would be uh, interested in that. I really, really need to get a, a tumbleweed sound effect. I think I'd like that. But look, we've got a good show for you today. We're going to be looking back at what happened against Dinamo Zagreb in, uh, in midweek, a 3-0 win. We're going to look ahead to what's going to happen or what might happen. I mean, we don't know. We're not soothsayers. We're not fortune tellers. We don't have visions in crystal balls that will tell us exactly what might happen. I know some people do. I mean, they do, in fairness. The minute anything goes wrong, they go, I knew that was going to happen. Whether or not they knew or they just feared, I don't know. I mean, look, who am I to who am I to say? Maybe there are some wizards out there who can tell the future. We can't, but we look ahead to the game against Norwich, and, uh, and we'll see what we can figure out there. We'll chat with our guest in a few minutes' time as well. And, and, there are prizes to give away. Prizes galore, again, from our friends at Savile Rogue and Percy Nobleman, so stand by if you'd like to win things to wear and put in your beard. What more could you want, really? Yeah. Uh, I've got to say a big shout out today to the man in the uh, the silver Volvo coming down South Circular Road in Dublin who uh, went fizzing straight through a red light as I was just going across on my bicycle, which was a bit scary, I have to say, because had I not really been paying attention, boom, that would not have been good. It was compounded by as I turned the corner, it was at like a, a, a crossroads, so as I turned the corner, uh, this woman reversed out and almost hit me. And then when I sort of said to her, hey, what's going on? She gave me the finger and drove off. 
Like, I know some cyclists are assholes. I know that. They go through red lights and they don't look where they're going and they weave in and out of traffic. But, you know, that doesn't mean you have to try and kill the rest of us, if that's okay. So, you know, just mind. If you're in a car, all you have to do is just stop and put your uh, foot in the accelerator then. It costs you about three seconds. Well, you know, if you're on a bicycle, you're a little bit more vulnerable. So uh, so hopefully that guy in the uh, silver 07 Volvo, hopefully, you know, one day he'll uh, he'll come home from work and uh, he'll say, hey, why is, uh, why is John Terry's car outside my house? I mean, we'll all know, won't we? Mrs. Volvo will be, yeah, we don't want to think about it, but I hope it happens to him. Better John Terry than uh, Charlie Sheen, probably. Anyway, last week we were talking, weren't we, with uh, Philippe Claire on the show about doping and football and Arsene Wenger's comments about that. And we wondered if there would be, A, some questions for other managers and B, whether other managers would show their support to Arsene Wenger over, over what he said. Because the uh, Dinamo Zagreb midfielder uh, who tested positive in the first game against us had been banned for four years. Four years. Um, which is not to say the rest of the Dinamo Zagreb team were, were doped up to the eyeballs. Not at all. Just this one guy has been caught. But anyway, we were wondering, Philippe and I, if other managers would be asked. And it didn't seem that too many of them were. I thought it might be a thing, given that Arsene Wenger had, had brought it up. And you know that at Arsene Wenger press conferences, they tend to ask him about all kinds of things. Uh, things that happen in the news, things that happen at other football clubs. Today, for example, this being Thursday, the manager had his press conference. Uh, he was asked about whether he thought... Chelsea could still win the title. Obviously, what the guy from Sky was doing was he wanted Arsene Wenger to say, well, no, they probably can't be. And then they would run with a whole Wenger opens up feud with Mourinho story again. But he fairly expertly uh, sidestepped that question. But it didn't seem that too many other managers were asked about whether or not Arsene Wenger's comments were on the money or what they thought of the comments or indeed what they thought of doping in football. What was really interesting, though, was when Arsene Wenger met the press uh, ahead of the Dinamo Zagreb game. And they were uh, they were asking him again a little bit about about his comments about doping in football. And whether or not he would actually have support from uh, other managers in the game. This is what he said. It's very interesting. I don't know if I would have the support of anybody, but uh, I came out on that. And uh, uh, as a result, we had a doping control from UEFA on Friday. <laughs> we had 10 people on Friday to, do, to control us. <laughs> so let's just uh, see if we can... I get the timeline on this. Arsene Wenger talks in an interview to Le Keep about doping in football, makes some fairly vague comments about it. Then he speaks about it again, and he's a bit more direct. And then he spoke about the regulations being wrong in the sense that the guy was caught from Dinamo, but the result of the game still stands, and, and he felt that was wrong. So three times in recent weeks, he has spoken out about doping in football and suggested that things need to change. So the consequence of that, then, is not that UEFA looks at its regulations and looks at its rules. It sends a 10-man doping control to Arsenal to test the players to see if any Arsenal players are doping. Right? Now, maybe it's the cynical side of me. Maybe that's just who I am. But is that not a fairly clear message from UEFA? That if you start talking about doping in football, we're going to come and have a look at what it is you do and how you do it. Right? And that's not just a message to Arsene Wenger. That's a message to all the managers in the top leagues or in European football or anywhere. That this is the consequence of speaking out about doping in football. It's a doping control. And if, heaven forbid, 
heaven forbid, that there are out there clubs who who like to blur the lines, shall we say, between what's legal and illegal, between what um, benefits performance and what enhances performance. There may well be grey areas. Maybe managers don't know everything that's going on. But would they risk speaking out about something like this? Are they going to stir the hornet's nest and find a UEFA control body down, testing all their players and, and looking into what they do? No, I don't think so. So to me, you know, that was a, a fairly obvious uh, warning uh, to other managers in football. Keep your mouth shut or we will come down like a ton of bricks on you as well. As I said, it could just be me being cynical. But, you know, there's enough going on in the world of football uh, at the moment for us to perhaps look at it in that way. You know, I, th- I think if you go back, if you haven't listened to uh, Philippe last week, go back and listen. And if uh, you have, you'll know, you know, that, that um, this isn't imaginary, that there is something going on uh, within the realms of football. How widespread it is, we, we don't quite know. But I'm sure that those at the top of the game have a fairly good idea. And they don't want the hassle of, um, you know, another scandal, another football scandal. After everything else that's gone on in the game, they just, you know, they'll do their best. Uh, to keep something like this um, brushed well and truly under the carpet. So uh, I guess you can all make your own minds up as to whether or not you think there was a, a message in UEFA's actions there. Maybe you're as world-weary as I am. Maybe you think it was just coincidence they had all this planned ages and ages ago. It just so happened to coincide with, with Arsene Wenger speaking out about an issue uh, that nobody else seems to be speaking out about. Maybe that's what it is. It's just pure coincidence. Told you, I need that tumbleweed sound effect, really. Right, before we talk to our guest this week, we're going to do some uh, competition stuff with thanks to Percy Nobleman. Last week, they gave us some beard balm and some uh, beard conditioning oil to give away. We had three prizes to give away. I asked you which uh, Arsenal player was currently on loan at West Brom. The answer was Serge Gnabry. And the three winners are Adam Raddy, Alex Leach, and Stuart Dobson. Oh, I hope that's not like a very clever pseudonym for cranky pundit and former Arsenal player Stuart Robson. Oh, God, if it is, he'll just be emailing me all the time complaining about everything. This beard oil is not the right quality. This beard oil doesn't do any defensive training. This beard... Anyway, I'm pretty sure it's not. But if it is, I hope it gives you a rash. But look, we'll get those prizes out to you. Uh, I'll be in touch. I'll get some details off of you. We'll get the prizes out to you uh, ASAP. If you would like to win some yourself, we've got two more to give away. Two beer bombs and two beer conditioning oils. Just to answer me this question, uh, we sold a Spanish defender to Norwich. Or we let him go to Norwich anyway. I don't know if he sold him or he was at the end of his contract. Uh, pretty recently, who was it? Who was the former Arsenal defender, Spanish, who ended up at Norwich? He's not there anymore. Uh, don't think it really worked out for him at all. But tell me that and send your answer to competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com. If you want more details on Percy Nobleman, go to their website, percynobleman.com, and you can pick up their stuff uh, from Boots stores all over the UK and Ireland, I'm, I assume assume they've, they've got it here in Ireland. We have bootses. We do. Uh, so I guess we've, we've got that here. So if you're looking for something for your beard, check out percynobleman.com. Right then, let's get on with the show, eh? And time to welcome our guest this week. Somebody we have spoken to a number of times before. Glad to welcome back to the show, Dan Levy. Hi there. Hi, Andrew. 
Let's begin by talking about Dinamo Zagreb on Tuesday night. After three relatively disappointing games um, from an Arsenal point of view, two defeats to West Brom and to, to Bayern Munich, uh, contextualise that result as much as we can. And, and obviously a North London derby where we drew 1-1. Uh, nice to get back to winning ways. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was a it was a good performance and it was a really encouraging performance. And I know that... Um, you know, the Spurs game was a game that, personally, I actually think I was quite disappointed we didn't win. And Bayern Munich is Bayern Munich. But I thought the West Brom game was a bit of an anomaly. And actually, the Zagreb game was us kind of getting back on track a bit, you know. Mm. Um, we certainly looked very, very comfortable. Um, weren't threatened too much at the back. And I think, you know, Petr Cech made had one save to make him, made it really well, which is what you want from him. So, And I also thought that going forward... You know, there was a really nice combination play and it's just so nice to see Ozil and Sanchez combine like that. You know, that yeah. really is very, very encouraging. We're going to come to those two in a moment. Okay. Maybe just, um, maybe just a quick word for, for Joel Campbell. Um, was left out of the game against West Brom. Arsene Wenger preferred Kieran Gibbs. Uh, perhaps to add some solidity away from home, my thinking is on that one. Um, but he, he played very well on Tuesday night and maybe just with a couple of more games... He could prove, well, I don't know what exactly he's going to prove, but certainly if he can play like that a bit more often, he's going to push himself further into the manager's thoughts. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I think that maybe the Gibbs thing was partly Wenger wanting to sort of slightly ride the wave of confidence he might have had after that goal against Tottenham yeah. and the fact that he played for England as well during the international break. Um, and as you said, you know, West Brom are a tough team and maybe we needed someone with a... Even though Joe Campbell does have a lot of stamina, Gibbs is a defender, and so you'd think in theory has a bit more physicality about him. But yeah, I thought he was excellent, Joe Campbell. And um, I was at the game, and when I was, I was kind of sitting in quite a good position to see him as he made that assist, which I think is probably his first assist of the season. I can't think of any others, and I did have a quick look. Um, and he just he celebrated it. I mean, it was a brilliant pass, but he celebrated Sanchez finishing the move off like he'd scored it. He really was like, you know, kind of and get in kind of celebration yeah. and I think that was probably it's, it's easy to be reductive about this kind of stuff but it's hard not to think that that was in some way a built up or a release of the frustration he'd felt over that miss against West Brom because that really was I know it came to him kind of quickly in the defender slip but mm. it really was an awful and very costly miss and he wasn't the only person guilty of that of course during the game but it still was I think something that probably left him feeling pretty down after the game what, what, and, is it not a case though, that he he knows you know that um, when people crucial. start coming back, you know when when Oxley Chamberlain is back, when Ramsey is back, when Walcott is back, when Welbeck is back, when Rosicky is back, that perhaps his chances are going to be a bit more limited. He's aware of that, so he knows that in the games that he does play, he yeah. is going to have to make a contribution if he wants to to stay um, in Arsene Wenger's thoughts. Yeah, I think exactly. Like it's crucial for him to have end product because that is kind of. A, the thing he's been missing and B, really what he's going to be judged on in comparison to the other players. Mm. Having said that, I mean, I did be interested in your thoughts on this. I really, really like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. I think he's got a lot of... I love the way he plays and I think he clearly has more potential than Joel Campbell to go on and be a very effective player. But he hasn't... He doesn't contribute that much more in terms of end product at the moment. And I, I really would be interested... I think the Ox will go back into the team. But... If you really broke down the numbers and you consider the kind of work that Joel Campbell does defensively and the issues that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has had giving the ball away in defensive positions, it's not a huge difference between them at the moment in terms of who you'd put in the team. Sure. You'd think long-term Ox would, would sort of pull away. but Yeah, I mean, I was looking for Oxlade-Chamberlain this season to really yeah. to really kick on, you know, to to develop... 
uh, because he's you know he's not a kid anymore. He's twenty two years of age. He's had his training seasons. He's now at the age where. You know, I think young players they they make progress and then they tend to plateau. Apart from the like the superlative mm. ones who who just go on an upward uh, trajectory the whole way through their career, the, for most part they'll improve, they'll plateau for a while, they'll improve again. And it felt to me like this was a, a time when Oxlade Chamberlain really had to to make a step forward in his career. And the early games that he's had, the early um, chances he's had to impress, he hasn't really he hasn't really done that. Yeah. So look, Campbell's it's a positive thing, I guess, for us because Oxlade. Chamberlain will be looking at that, even if he does know that he's perhaps the preferred choice, uh, that if he can't match what Campbell has done, and Campbell's got a goal and uh, an assist in his last, what, two or three games, and Oxlade-Chamberlain, I don't know if he's even got that this season, you know, it, it might be just the thing that will spur him on a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think when we saw... Uh, Oxide Chamberlain scored that goal in the Community Shield. You really were thinking this is exactly what we've been waiting for from him, and yeah. now he may go on, may go on to kind of, you know, to kind of take off and start to fulfil some of the potential because he has had injury problems, and I'm sure that's part of it. And it's it's funny. You think he should be a better finisher. I, I really feel like it must be a psychological thing because he clearly has the technique to to hit the ball in the right way yeah. to finish chances off. Um, we've seen him do it from distance, and we've seen him do it when he's in on goal. You know, these players. Most of them, especially ones as kind of adroit and as talented as Oxlade Chamberlain, they know how to do that. But there's a big difference between doing that in training or in a lower key game and doing it when there's 60,000 people there holding their breath, mm. waiting for you to, to finish a chance that really could win the game. And I think he probably just needs to do it a few times to start to feel confident that he can do it consistently and regularly. I mean, um, can I just say one more thing about the, um, the Dinamo Zagreb game as well? Sure. I just thought that um, it was quite frustrating because you looked back on it and just thought, you know, how did we lose to this lot sort of the first time around? And, you know, Giroud was sent off in the first half, so that was part of it. But I suppose it is worth remembering that they were on such a good run at the time. Like, I thought they you were, were... going to say steroids. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, they, were <laughs> they were on a very good run. I don't know what else, you know, they've been doing, but um, I'm sure nothing. But they had... I think it was 41 games unbeaten they'd gone on mm. a run of. And they went on, it went on to be 45. And then they played Bayern and lost. And it's now six defeats and 11. So we really are playing a kind of really different team, the kind of team we should beat. But, yeah. you know, it was sort of a very different opposition. Um, having said that, if they're capable of that kind of long run, then I think we should be celebrating the fact that we dispatched with them so easily. And it, it was a game that, you know, we could have won four or five nil, I thought. Yeah, uh, We sure. could have even had two Ozil-headed goals in one game, which would have been pretty amazing. Yeah, it really would have been amazing. I'm going to come to him now in a second, but obviously it sets up the final group stage game against Olympiacos uh, very nicely from an Arsenal point of view. I mean, there's no grey area here. We know exactly what we need to do. So we either win, we've got to win by any other scoreline than 1-0 or 2-1. Um, and that will see us through. We've gone out there three times before. We've been beaten three times before, but uh, I saw somebody put up a list of player, players that have played in those games. So you had like Thomas Cruz and Martin Anger and yeah, you know, uh, uh, yeah, Craig Eastman and, and people like that. Um, because these were games that were done and dusted. This yeah. is not done and dusted. It's it's going to be a tricky place to go because, you know, we know going uh, away to Greek teams has been difficult uh, traditionally for us in the past. But perhaps the focus of, of knowing exactly what it is we need to do will be, will be a positive. Yeah, I mean... Make no mistake, it is a it is a pretty tricky assignment for Arsenal. Um, it's not just it's not just us who struggled over there. Actually, they've they've actually. I mean, the good thing is that 
if we draw or out, and they haven't drawn at home in the Champions League since 2008, mm. which was against Chelsea. But since then, it's 17 wins and five losses. And as you said, three of those defeats came against us. And they were, I think one of the teams was quite mixed. Kind of Rizitsky, Arshavin was on the bench and stuff like that. And then the other two were like very, very inexperienced sides. We've always played them in December. It's always been at the end of the group stages. But they've also in that time beaten Dortmund at home, Manchester United at home, Atletico Madrid and Juventus. And those were games that really meant something. Those were either games earlier in the knockout phase or they were games in the knockout stages. So, you know, it's not going to be an easy game at all. And they've won 10 out of 10 in the Greek top flight so far this season, so maximum points. The only team that's beaten them all season is Bayern Munich. So, I mean, having said that, we've beaten Bayern Munich. So we have every reason to think that, you know, we should have the quality to go and do it. It's slightly complicated by the fact that, yeah, we either have to win by two or score three and win. Mm-hmm. I think if we were just going out there looking for a victory, you'd feel you'd feel confident that we could kind of get a 1-0 or a 2-1 despite the, the kind of inevitable terrifying moments at the end of the game. But it, it is going to be different because we know we need to go out and get a couple. But I think, you know, look at the way we played against Zagreb. As I said, they're not kind of in the form that they were in. But, you know, we looked pretty free-flowing and we could score... We could have scored a lot more goals. I know it was at home. Mm. And even West Brom, I think the West Brom game, as I said, was quite quite an anomalous match, really, in many ways. You know, we we made mistakes at the back and, and really had, you know, a missed penalty and two, three really clear chances that we should have scored. And, um, you know, I think against Olympiacos, we, we definitely have the firepower to get the goals we need. But it's, I think the press, we're kind of talking about Arsenal sort of being all but out and then being on the brink. And I, I think it never really felt like that after the four games because you did think well look Bayern should beat Olympiacos at home and we have to beat Zagreb at home which again we you'd feel confident we can do the only part of it that really is hard is going and winning comfortably mm. at, at, at Olympiacos and I think that's tough but if we're in good form and the attacking players are firing I think it's definitely possible mm. alright well we'll uh, we'll find out in due course so let's now talk a little bit about Mesut Ozil um <laughs> I think it's fair to say he is in the best form of his Arsenal career since he joined. He did have a great spell, you know, in those first few months uh, when he joined and scored early. But I think consistently this is the best spell of form he's been in. I think the team kind of uh, are, are are well used to him now. He's well used to the team. He's creating a lot. And what we saw on Tuesday night against Dinamo Zagreb was uh, Arsenal's main creator with the most chances to score goals, which has never really been the case. You know, it's been Alexis that would have chances. Giroud would have chances. But apart from um, apart from the goal that he scored, uh, which was a, typical, a very un-Ozil goal, you'd have to say, a stooping, diving header. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, he could have scored twice more, maybe three times more in the game. Yeah. Um, he's just an absolute joy to watch at the moment. Well, yeah, and you say joy. I mean, that, that is the thing about him as well. It's not just that he's now, you know, that he has kind of end product and that he, you know, even when he's not playing particularly well, he still creates loads of chances for other people. Um but it's just as well that it, it is so beautiful to watch. There's something so silky, so kind of balletic about the way he plays. Like his balance is incredible. The way he turns players, he doesn't really seem to be doing anything particularly fancy. He just kind of turns <laughs> and then he's kind of beyond them and they don't know where to go. He did that to create, a, I think he would put in Campbell or Bellerin into the box where he kind of just started to go left, went right and then cut the ball with his left foot, kind of chopped it at an angle into the path of the on-running, on-rushing player. And uh, on top of that as well, he's actually really um, stepping up his end product as well. 11 assists, 11 assists this season. I mean, that's really, really high because, 
you know, assists, the numbers are often lower than goals because there's sort of dispute over what really counts and things like that. But 11 assists from 18 appearances plus three goals is is absolutely stellar. If you put it over a season, you're looking at kind of 30-odd assists and that's almost unheard of. Yeah. And it would put him close to the target of 10 goals that Wenger set, him, set for him at the start of the season. And, um, you know, Arsene Wenger was speaking ahead of the Norwich game saying that what's really changed with Ozil's game now is that he likes to get into the box more. And um, perhaps that's a, sh- a sign of him kind of taking on a, a different role in the team, taking on a bit more responsibility yeah. and and feeling maybe just more confident and fitter. You know, he also said himself that last season he didn't get a proper preseason, he didn't feel fit, then he had an injury. And now physically he's in great shape and that's certainly showing on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Some quotes today, he did an interview with Sport One and he says, I am an absolute team player. I don't need goals for my ego. Whoever is positioned best in front of goal should shoot. But I, I understand that I need to try and score more myself from time to time. I do that now. And of course, you look, you go back to West Brom, he hit the post. Um, yeah. he, he was unlucky there as well. So um, it, it's just uh, phenomenal to watch him and also know that you've got somebody like Alexis Sanchez in the team as well um, yeah. who is different but obviously hugely effective also and we saw uh, an eight game goal drought dry up I guess well, what do you say were you water a drought I don't know how to, how to say that should have thought <laughs> no, about no. what I was going to say there but he got eight games it, without, yeah. yeah he got eight games without a goal and then he gets a couple so um, you he know, flooded these, it almost yeah he flooded it These, but these are two guys um, who, who are making a difference in big games. Yeah, there's something, I mean, you shouldn't really, I guess, base what you want for your team around what other fans might think. But I do love other fans going, well, oh, that Sanchez is amazing. You know, Ozil is amazing. I kind of do enjoy them really getting off on the quality of the players and, and appreciating it. Um, and Sanchez, I mean, I was worried that this season he would struggle just because he'd be so tired. Mm. And then, of course, uh, as Wenger pointed out post-Zagreb, if you give him a break, he gets more tired, so you just have to keep playing him all the time. Um, <laughs> He's like a per- and, per- perpetual motion machine. Exactly. You just, you just exactly. have him running everywhere in his sleep and everything. Um, it's nine goals, I think, for him this season. And uh, and he's, of course, got a few for, for Chile as well. And, I mean, as you know, as long as those two can stay in good shape, I think we do have a chance to, to go far in the league. You know, that they have probably been the difference, you'd say. I think for the last few years... I, you know, I think we've done a really good job as a club of, of being one of the top three or four teams in the country for the last decade. Um, but you always felt like we were probably the fourth, maybe third best team. Mm. Now I think you definitely say we're in the top two in the division. Yeah, And uh, and it's hard not to point to the additions of Sanchez and Ozil um, when you look at why that is. And certainly the effects they have as well on the other players around them because I think it, it does just make the other players around them better. Speaking of that, of course, we're we're down an important player as well, um, yeah, which again, yeah. I, I guess, will sort of increase the onus on these guys to to try and make the difference at the the business end of the pitch, if you will. But obviously, the news that we're going to be without Francis Coquelin for three months, twelve weeks, Arsene Wenger says. So you're looking at a, a mid to late February return. Um, you know, then he's got to get his sharpness and fitness and, and everything else. You got to make sure you don't rush him back and ease him into action and all those kind of things. Um, how big of a miss is he going to be for you? I think it's a big miss, but I was I was thinking about this the other day, and I think I know what your answer might be, but I was wondering, would you rather have Coquelin fit or would you rather have all of the other players who've been missing this season fit? Mm, that's a good question, all right, yeah. And I think, you know, you probably can get enough out of some combination of Flamini and Arteta in the short term. And then... 
I would have thought that there's no way Wenger would like we'd all be hoping he'd buy someone in January, but then he wouldn't. But he did say ahead of you know in that pre Norwich press conference that he was in the market to do something if he found the requisite quality and all the usual caveats. Mm. Um, and he was talking about how much he loved bargains, and of course what a bargain means to him is finding the right quality at the right price. Yeah, and and I I think he probably will do it if he can, but he won't. Perhaps the difference between Wenger and what people would like from him is that he just won't do it for the sake of it. He won't just take, he won't kind of choose the expediency of just getting somebody in because he needs someone. He he will only do it if it's really, really worth it. But I think what we really probably would like is a kind of Gabriel kind of signing. Yeah. A guy who could come in, be kind of ready-ish from the start at the right age, kind of, you know, 24, 25, and someone who could go on to challenge Coquelin I mean, I mean, what we'd really like, obviously, is somebody amazing. But I think what's most realistic yeah. is somebody like a Gabriel kind of level signing where he's, you know, he's got a real potential. He's already quite established as a top flight player. and But there won't be pressure on him to immediately come in and change everything. And he also won't necessarily rule out the possibility of Coquelin going on to be an important player for Arsenal well, in the future. Yeah, I mean, this was a question I was going to ask you because on the one hand, everybody is saying Coquelin is a hugely, hugely important player. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, on the other hand, we have to buy another player as important as Coquelin, which is which is difficult. I mean, you have a guy, you have Mesut Ozil, you don't, you don't have two Mesut Ozil. You've got one yeah. Alexis Sanchez, you don't have two Alexis Sanchez. What you do perhaps is, like you say, have a guy who can come in and do the job, maybe not quite as well, but to a sufficient standard. And, and perhaps there's the difference between uh, what Coquelin uh, is and what, what the, the two players that are there tasked by Arsene Wenger to fill the gap at the moment. Mikel Arteta, of course, is having terrible problems with his, with his injuries. He can't maintain any fitness. And Flamini, well, this is a guy that was going to be allowed leave during the summer and didn't, thankfully, um, which is a, a sort of a blessing at, at this point of the season. So it, maybe it's not about going out and buying that amazing player, but like you say, somebody who can come in, who's of the right quality, who, who you can put in the side, where probably it will make a bit of a difference to you, but not as much as, as what we're seeing at the moment. I have wondered how much of Ozil's upturn in form is because he's come to see that Flamini is going to save the planet and he's just been incredibly <laughs> buoyed psychologically by uh, the success of his uh, his BFF. Genuinely, um, though, I wonder what would have happened. I mean, would, would I know they're professionals and they do everything, but like if, you know, these guys are super tight, apparently. I mean, how would he have felt if Flamini had gone off to Turkey in the, in the, in the summer? He might have been a bit, you know, a bit moping around London without his mates. Maybe I, part no, of why he's I, playing I, well is because Flamini's still there. Like I'm not sure whether we're joking anymore, but like I do, I do actually think it clearly makes a difference. You can't just say that, you know, the money it, it doesn't just make them able to perform no matter what, and it doesn't just mean that their mental health is secured no matter what. Like their their happiness and how they feel will will fluctuate and vary. Are, are you, you know based on the normal things? Are you saying they're people? They're human? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Although I wonder at what point we're going to start calling Flamini Captain Planet. Captain or, Planet, <laughs> or just the billionaire, yeah. if and when the company goes through. But um, now I, I feel oddly kind of okay about Flamini being in the team. I think what it is is you play teams like Dinamo Zagreb and, and you know maybe Norwich at the weekend, and you you kind of think, well, you know this will be all right. And he looks quite good. He looks like a kind of not quite as good as Coquelin version of Coquelin. Mm. But and like you trust him because there's experience and you know this history and you know Ozil loves him, right? So. And 
but but then I suppose the test is when you play people like Man City, and that was if you remember the you know the Man City game away um, at the start of the year. That was really when you know Coquelin became the player that we can rely on because everyone was saying, well, he's looked not bad, but will he be able to do it against a team this good? And he was absolutely brilliant. And um, it might be pushing it to expect that Firmini will be able to do it against the really, really top sides. And I suppose that that is the question. I know you've talked about whether Wenger might move the team around and bring Ramsey in. I, I'm a huge fan of Aaron Ramsey and I would love to see him back in the middle. It just sort of, then you have an issue with what you do with Cazorla. Either you, either you play him there and you take the risk that it might not be sort of defensive and physical enough. Yeah. Or, and also what's quite interesting is if you played Ramsey and Cazorla, who would be the furthest back? Because actually Cazorla sits behind Flamini at times and like, you know, his, he kind of makes up for his lack of natural defensive nous and, and physicality with his dribbling. Mm. And, and maybe he would be the further back of the two and, or maybe they would suppose, uh, perhaps the other solution is they just play alongside each other and, fam, and Ramsey's kind of um, stamina and power. Yeah, uh, makes up for the the absence of Cochrane. You just have to get him to be disciplined and stay yeah. back. I, suppose. I mean, Ramsey must be looking at this as I mean, as as a a way for him to get back into his favorite position in the center of midfield. You know, he's spoken about it a number of times. He said, "Look, you know, I, I, I'll do the job on the right hand side. I'm happy to do that." You know, if the manager asks me to do that, I think he's a bit more effective out there than people give him credit for. Uh, but he must be looking at this situation where one of the most important central midfielders in the side is out and is going to be out for three months. He must be looking at this as a way for him to get back into the middle. I mean, again, going back to the, the human element, would he not be disappointed or uh, disenchanted, disenfranchised perhaps, if he was to remain on the right-hand side uh, and, and not given that opportunity? Not if he got to spend more time with Macho Flamini, I think is the answer. In the spare time. Uh, I think he might do. Yeah, he clearly wants to play in the middle. He's been very vocal about how much he likes playing in the middle. I, I didn't have a problem at all with him playing on the right, personally. I mean, uh, I think he's still really, really effective out there and we're still a much better team. And I think I thought against Tottenham, um, one of the problems we had was that we didn't have Ramsey to kind of come in field. You know, we were getting overran and overrun in the centre. Mm. And we didn't have Ramsey's presence kind of on the right but drifting in to kind of make up for, um, you know, what we were lacking a bit with the, with the two in there. Um, you know, and he's so fit. I think people forget, like he has incredible stamina, yeah. and he he does get around the pitch very, very effectively. And and he he kind of plays. He kind of gives you what you might get from two players, really, in in terms of his skill set. So I don't know. I suppose the question is, do you ask Ramsey to go in there and be like, is Ramsey a better Coquelin replacement than Flaminius? Mm. Again, um, I think I think what we might see is a little more variation in yeah. the in the team selections that if you're playing a Dinamo Zagreb level team you can afford perhaps to put in Flamini as a direct Coquelin replacement but if you're going to play Manchester City then perhaps you need to be a bit more uh, creative about what you do with your midfield and maybe play a three in there with with, uh, with uh, Ramsey Cazorla and Flamini I don't know but I think that, that might be the way that he solves the issue in the, in the short term If you had a Ramsey Cazorla uh, Flamini three would you put Ozil wide? I don't know. I mean, I don't because you where... don't want to take him out at number ten, really, at the moment, if you can help it. No, of course, but you know, again, if it's a case that that's what's required for the yeah. for the uh, for the job at hand, then I, I think you'll have to do that. And again, I don't think it's a question that uh, I don't think there's any doubt that Ozil can play uh, effectively from a wide position. You know, I don't think it's one of those things that if you put him wide, he's all of a sudden rubbish. 
you know, I think uh, the form that he's in, you could probably play him at left back and he'd be brilliant, you know? Yeah, that's but true. We'll see. All right, well, listen, uh, we'll wait and see what the manager uh, does to solve all that. Dan, we'll uh, talk to you again later in the season. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks so much, Andrew. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed to Dan. If you want to give him a follow on Twitter, you can do that at DanLevy1, at DanLevy1. We've got goodies to give away from Savile Rogue. We're going to look ahead to the game against Norwich very shortly, but right now, this. I was sitting there polishing off my second jug of gimlets when the guy walked in. I won't lie, I was two sheets to the wind and one of the sheets was like the sheet in train spotting where the guy shits on the sheet and the sheet's full of shit. What do you want, mister? I said, I'm really not in the mood. Look good, he said. What did you say? I said. Look good, he said. I started to get a bad feeling. This guy was giving me the heebie-jeebies. Tall and French and skinny. He could be up to anything. Look, mister, I said, you better tell me what's going on now. There was a pause. Look good, he said. I was just about to clock him and he said, Look good, I am your father. Before whipping off his shirt and showing a Darth Vader tattoo right across his tits. We then went clubbing and dropped an E. Seemed like the only reasonable thing to do. We will have more from Amari Bischoff P.I. as the season goes on, I'm sure. Right then, time to do some Savile Rogue stuff. Last week, we had one of their brilliant uh, cashmere sweaters to give away. Uh, I asked you to go to the Savile Rogue website, have a look at it, and explain the logo to me. Uh, Pretty much everybody did that because, you know, it's not that difficult. We had many, many entries. The random number generator has picked one of them out, and the winner is Cahill Durkin. Well done to you, Cahill. I'll be in touch, and we can get your Savile Rogue prize out for you. This week, we've got two of their fantastic King Mini Bar scarves to give away. Before you get too excited, Mini Bar is the design of the scarf, like uh, small bars on the scarf, rather than actually having a Mini Bar in the scarf, which would be an amazing development in scarf technology. Not only would it keep you warm, your lovely neck all toasty and cashmere but if you got really cold, you could just take out a mini brandy or a mini bourbon or a mini something to, to sort of warm you up, give you that warm glow. There is something to think about, Savile Rogue, for next season. A mini bar scarf with, with room for your uh, mini spirit bottles. So there. Probably a bit weighty around the neck, but still... Anyway, we've got two of them to give away without the drinks. Uh, We've got a red and white one and a yellow and blue one. So, the question, given and all that he's been in the news a bit this week, Francis Coquelin, tell me which three clubs has Francis Coquelin played for on loan? Of course, he's an Arsenal man now, but where did he play on loan as he was developing as a young player? I want those three clubs, please. Send them to competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com. And uh, we'll pick out the winners on next week's Arsecast. Just to remind you as well that if you want to get a discount at the Savile Rogue website, if you want to do some Christmas shopping, you can go there and use the code 10arsblog to get 10% off any order. That's 10arsblog to get 10% off any order at savile-rogue.com. Get ahead of yourself. Christmas is coming. It is. Look at the date. It's the 26th. It's less than a month away now. God damn. Where do the years go? Honestly, it's only this time last year we were thinking it was nearly Christmas then too. What happened? (sighs) Still, 
We've got football this weekend to look forward to, another away trip, and hopefully it'll be a bit more successful than the one last weekend against Norwich, which was, in fairness, not quite the way our away trips have gone this season, apart from Chelsea. Um, you know, we've done we've done pretty well. We've beaten teams away from home with fairly good score lines, and you have to hope that we're going to do something similar this weekend against Norwich. Team news, there isn't really a whole lot. Arteta's still out. Coquelin obviously out. The the permanently walking wounded or the uh, the long-termers are still out. That's Welbeck, Wilshire, Rosicki. Theo Walcott will be back in a couple of weeks' time. He could make the Olympiacos game. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see for that. So really, not a huge amount the manager can do in terms of his team. Uh, he mentioned at his press conference that Alexis Sanchez has a little bit of a hamstring thing going on, but uh, he says about uh, resting him, he said, I'm not sure that now is the right time to rest him. I mean, is there really any good time to rest Alexis? Probably not, because he's so important to the team. But you do worry, don't you? Every time you just worry. I think he got a kick early in the Dinamo game and he was down for a little bit. And it was one of those where I think it was just an impact where he clashed knees with somebody. But those are the things that can that can happen and go wrong. So uh, fingers crossed, if it is a little bit more than a, a bit of a hamstring, they won't risk him. You'd like to think that we could take care of Norwich without him. But then you might have said that about West Ham at the start of the season and we know how that went. So look, we've got to pick ourselves up and make sure that we continue where we left off against Dinamo. I think hopefully that's a a game that has got us uh, moving again, the momentum going slightly uh, after those three games which weren't very good. Performance-wise, it was good. And maybe you could say that Dinamo and Norwich are similarly statured teams, even though, of course, Norwich aren't in the the Champions League. But just in terms of the expectation and, and the way that you're supposed to play against them, it'd be good if we could repeat what we did on Tuesday night. Uh, I don't know what else is happening in the Premier League this weekend. I should probably have a look. I'll just have a little clickety-click here uh, and see what the story is, who's playing who, whether there's anybody interesting. I think Manchester United and Leicester are playing. Is that right? That could be a very interesting game, all right? Leicester, top of the table, which is pretty fucking amazing when you think about it, considering the way that uh, Ranieri, when he was appointed, pretty much everyone went, what are they doing? They're trying to get relegated in record time, and now they're actually top of the table. So, yeah, they are playing Leicester and Manchester United Saturday evening at uh, 5.30. Manchester City are playing Southampton this weekend. We're playing on Sunday, of course. It's um, Super Sunday uh, as uh, as we play Norwich. Tottenham-Chelsea, well, there's a confest and a half, isn't it? You'll be looking for very localised natural disaster in that particular area of London. Very, very localised in a sort of 120-metre-long... 80 meter wide space, probably. But if that's not to occur, hopefully they'll kick the shit out of each other. We'll have lots of red cards and, and everything else. That would be great. It's been ages since there's been a good proper brawl, hasn't there, in the Premier League? We could do it one of those. And hopefully, you know, if that happened between Tottenham and Chelsea, you know, that would be fantastic because you're on both sides. Because you want both of them to kick the crap out of each other. So look, that's what's happening this weekend. There's no midweek action, so we then get a chance to rest before uh, Sunderland arrive uh, next Saturday. Um, so uh, that'll be fun as well, won't it? Sam Allardyce, a oh, joy. Oh, that's going to be a, a laugh a minute. Well, it will be if we, you know, beat them convincingly. That will be. That'll be very funny. But I suspect, as always, he'll make life difficult for us. Anyway, look, I'm getting ahead of myself here, and my voice uh, is well and truly going now. So I'm going to have to knock this particular Arsecast on the head. I'll be here on Monday with James. We'll have an Arsecast extra for you. 
Uh, we'll look back at what happened against Norwich on Monday and uh, whatever else is going on. So join us for that, please, at some point on Monday lunchtime, there or thereabouts. We'll have that for you. In the meantime, have yourselves a, a great weekend. We'll keep fingers crossed for three points, and I'll talk to you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. seems to be the problem. Oh, well, it's a little delicate um, and a little embarrassing, I have to say, but of course you're, you're a doctor. You've seen all these things before. Basically, um, I've broken my cock. Yes. Uh, how? Um, perhaps a little too vigorous in the bedroom. Yes. I see. Okay. There's nothing you can do in the very short term. No. No. Just one second, and uh, I'll run that past the wife. One second. Darling, he says I should uh, strap on a flamini. Oh, she doesn't like that idea at all, Doctor. No. Um, I'll pop in tomorrow. Bye-bye.